Welcome for all of you. If you're new with us, a special warm welcome. Uh, like Ryan said, no service next week. We'd love, though, for you to come back in the new year and, and get to know us a little bit more. Um, we believe uh, church is family, and so we hope you could find family here and life here and, and love here. So um, if you would, before I get into my talk, I'm Dave, by the way, uh, I would like to pray and uh, enter into a little time of a message here. Would you pray with me? Father God, creator of heaven and earth, you are majestic. Your creation is a marvel. We wonder at all that is around us, God. Um, yet we can be at times confused and unsure and wondering how to live this life that we've been given. And so, God, we pray that through this time together we might find some clarity, find perhaps an answer or two, perhaps find hope. And so I don't know where everyone's at when they walk in, but we are all at different places and in different need. And God, I just pray that you'd meet us right where we're at, that you'd speak truth to us that encourages us and guides us and gives us hope for tomorrow and the next year and we need you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I really do hope perhaps God stirs something in you today um, that you'd consider the Alpha course. It's, we do it just once a year. It's a 10-week course, like Ryan said, where you get to explore life's biggest questions and you get to hear a British man named Nicky Gumbel uh, give the answers to those big questions from a Christian perspective. So it is, a, in that sense, an introduction to Christianity. But for many, it's an introduction to even having these big conversations. So many of us will go through life and never utter out loud the deep longings and yearnings of our heart. And Alpha is just a place to say what you think about the things that are talked about in each week's talk. So um, consider that for yourself if that's something that you think might be what's next for you. If you know someone, like Ryan said, invite them. Um, because it comes around only once a year, I always... Oh, I so want everyone who needs that or wants that to get to experience it. So we'd love to have you join us for Alpha. Of course, if you have any questions, you can reach out to us and, and we can answer them for you. Um, so tonight what I'd like to do uh, is, is talk about this candle. So gra grab this candle. I just want you to feel the candle. You, you know, this is a crowd participation this candle, at the end, if, you've, if you're new to these sorts of Christmas Eve services, this is very common for churches at the end of the night to, we'll light this and we'll pass the light around and then we'll lift the light up in the air. And, and, and we do that as a way of talking about um, bringing light into the world. And so um, I want you to start thinking about that now because my aim tonight is, is to help you uh, imbue into this act, which you, maybe you've done this countless times, a new sense of purpose um, and profundity that, that wasn't in this the last time you did it, or, or, or you might just go through the motions, but I want you to feel the weight of what this represents. That's my aim and my goal tonight. So if I do my job, one way or another, you'll feel the weight of this candle. So you feel the weight now? I pray that this candle feels heavier when you pick it up at the end of the service. That's my aim. So we'll see how I do on that. Now, the, the candle represents 
two big themes. One is light and one is lifting up. And so uh, we're going to talk about light and lifting up today. And if you've been with us at all, uh, our church for the last year has been going through the first half of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John was written by one of Jesus's 12 closest friends who walked with Jesus, saw everything that he did, and at the end of his life, before he died, John wrote an account of everything that he had witnessed and seen. And so John writes for us what's called a gospel. And John has these two themes, light and lifting up, strewn throughout his gospel. And so for the first, for, we've been looking at the first half of the gospel, then in 2024, um, after the new year, we'll continue looking at the second half of his gospel. And so I'd love for you to join us for that. The gospel of John is so amazing because it's just Jesus direct. It's the most direct view of Jesus that you can get. So if you have questions about Jesus, this would be a great time to jump in and join us. So if you've been with us, though, you've heard these two. Jesus is the light of the world, John keeps saying. And John keeps saying that God the Father, who sent Jesus, God the Son, lifted up Jesus for some purpose. So we have the light of the world being lifted up. Starting to see why this is going to be important, okay? So, um, because I know not all of you have been tracking with us, let me just read you a couple of the verses. There's more than this, but just a couple of the verses that are in John's gospel about this. So first, at the very beginning, in the very first chapter of John, John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, we'll put it on the screen, John comments, and he says, in him, and he's talking about Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus spoke to them again. This is John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Picking up the theme. Then John 3, 14 to 16. And John 3, 16 is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Uh, But right before that famous passage, Jesus says this. So read it with me. Jesus declared, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So that's, must be lifted up. Then he goes on to say the very famous John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, in this way he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, the lifting up leads to life somehow. And then again, Ryan talked about this last week. You could go back and listen to his sermon online. He did a fantastic job explaining this very important, right before Jesus is arrested and ultimately taken to the cross, Jesus declared this. He said, John 12, 32, As for me, I am lifted up from the earth so that I can draw all people to myself. Okay? So you see the themes, light and lifted up. Those are the themes that uh, we've been jamming on throughout our time so far in John. Now I'd like to take a a few minutes here just to unpack three distinct ways in which Jesus is lifted up by God the Father, okay? There's three distinct ways in which the light of Christ is lifted up. They're not exactly the same, but they accomplish the same ends, okay? So track with me here as we go through these three, lifting 
ups. The first is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is the nativity of Jesus' birth. So this is the scene, right? The nativity scene. We have, we have the baby in, in a feeding trough in the manger. We have Mary and Joseph. We have, we're in Bethlehem. It's sort of this uh, inconspicuous yet vulnerable scene because God has come in human form, but he's come in the form of a dependent baby. And so uh, it's also sort of a sweet scene, right? Uh, it brings back these sort of Christmas sentimentality of, of quietness and, and lowliness. And so um, it, it's a beautiful scene. And then you, of course, got the shepherds who are you know, social outcasts who are given the first message that Jesus, the new king, has been born. And they come to visit him. And then you have the wise men who come from the east, the magi. And they come and visit Jesus because they've seen a star. And, and this is the picture of classic Christmas. This is the nativity of his birth. So I call this first lifting up because this is a lifting up full of hope and wonder. What will this young child become? What kind of man will he be? What kind of king will he be? So it's just pregnant with all this hope, right? So I call this the Lion King lifting up. You know what I'm talking about? Not Denya. I just... You know, we had a 10 a.m. service, and I did that three times. Let's see how many times I go tonight. Oh, I did it five times this morning. Natsidvenya. Right? So we have the hope. Like, everyone is just excited with hope that this, this young thing um, with so much potential is coming into the world. What is God going to do? So the Natsidvenya lifting up is a unique lifting up. And it does something really unique, a, a strange thing, in fact. If you, if you believe what God has told you about Jesus' coming, that Jesus was no ordinary child, but in fact God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, had conceived the baby Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And because of this, because actually Jesus is both fully God and fully man, something spectacular is true now about humanity. What is it? It means that God, even though he could have been, and and in many ways should have been done with us because of our rebellion against him, God is choosing not only to allow us to maintain our status, but God is actually connecting himself to us and lifting us up to a status higher than we've ever been. In, in, In the heart of our rebellion against God, choosing ourselves over him, he actually comes and lifts us up. That's what, that's what that means. Did you know that? It means that God has said, humanity is my plan forevermore. He is connecting himself eternally to human beings. That's happening at the nativity of his birth. Wow. Even though we're flawed, The nativity of his birth says, we are not flawed beyond repair, beyond restoration, beyond heaven, beyond relationship with God, because God became man. He became a human being. And so in this sense, the whole of humanity is now lifted up when Jesus is lifted up at his birth, when Christ is lifted up as the promised king, and each of us is lifted up knowing that God is not done with us, that we are not beyond repair, that we are not beyond restoration, that we are not beyond heaven if we come and let Christ lift us up. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful reminder. Now, there's so much about the nativity of his birth that, that, that highlights that. We have the weakness and the vulnerability. So the weak and the vulnerable in our world, the poor, Jesus comes into a carpenter's family. Jesus has no money to his name. He has no title to take on from his father. He comes very much like most of the world, completely dependent on others. And so in that sense, Jesus elevates those who have no status to give them new status. He's saying, no matter where you come from, you can participate in the royalty of God. So Jesus redefines royalty at his first lifting up. God lifting up Jesus lifts all humanity to royalty. This is great news for 99% of the world's population at any given time in history because most people have no access to royalty, and Jesus gives them that access. That's what the first lifting up does. And then Jesus again and again through his life will show you that no matter who you are or what you've done, you are not beyond royalty. Again and again, we'll read about this in the Bible. Jesus lived his life not amongst the elite, but amongst the common, amongst the poor. He ate with prostitutes and sinners. He touched lepers and the lame. He met with the Samaritan woman, the adulterous Samaritan woman, and said, you too can be reborn to new life. He takes those of lowly status and he lifts them up by his presence. He does that right there, starting at the first nativity of his birth, the first lifting up. Okay, so we like that one, right? That's the one we get excited about. We see that Jesus' light, that the light of Jesus' birth and his living lifts up all humanity and all of the world. But this is just the first. We must wrestle with now the second lifting up, the lifting up he's actually talking about in John chapter 12. So what is the second lifting up? We've been talking about this all through Advent. We've been calling it the nativity of his death. So this baby king, born in a peaceful manger, full of hope and wonder, now the scene transitions to something not peaceful, something not wondrous. In fact, something that's so hard for us to look at that we want to divert our gaze because we can't believe that this same baby who brought hope and wonder, who we lifted up, we've now lifted him up to the cross. So we like to leave this part out. This is the not-so-beautiful truth of what humanity in its current state does to God. But we can't deny it. When we study and understand the life and plan of God through Jesus, we know, Jesus says, that he always came to be lifted up in the second way. That he did not come to establish his kingdom now, but he had to go through death and come out the other side in order to bring about the kind of world he wanted. That's the nativity of his death. That's the uncomfortable truth of Christmas. That when we gather around the first nativity, we must always have in mind the second nativity, which is the nativity of his death. So let's look again at that John 12.32, which says, As for me, Jesus says, I am lifted up from the earth. I will draw all people to myself. That comes in this larger context that I want to, to show you guys if, in case you weren't here last week. Starting in verse 23... 
Jesus replied, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life here and now will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world here and now will keep his life for eternity. If if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, Jesus says. What should I say, Father? Save me from this hour? But this hour is why I came. (laughs) Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And and God the Father will glorify it again and again and again. So the crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, I think an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus responded, This voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world, but the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. So Jesus is fully aware, even before he goes to the cross, that this is the Father's plan for him. That he will, he will, the Father will lift up the Son through death, but that death is for both the Father's glory and for Jesus' glory. The nativity of his death was always part of the plan. And that's uncomfortable. But Jesus tells us, without it, there is no true hope for humanity. That something must happen at that second lifting up. Something will happen that will save humanity. Only, only, only because he was lifted up on the cross can you or I have relationship with God again. There's no other way. He had to die so that we could be renewed to communion with our Creator. This is what the light of Jesus does. When it is lifted up, it lifts up humanity. And all who gather near the nativity of His death, it lifts them up to a forgiven state. There's no other way. His sacrifice was necessary and it secured our new status. Past, present, future failure, future imperfection, future sin, future spiritual death are removed by the lifting up, the second lifting up of Christ, God the Son. There's no way around it. Once unforgivable, we are now forgivable because we are lifted up with Jesus when he is lifted up. Okay, so that's the second lifting up, the nativity of his birth, then the nativity of his death. But if you're remembering the, 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 the scripture I read at the beginning, right, you've got to think, wait a minute, John's the one who told us this. Remember John wrote, Uh, In in chapter 1, he said, In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And as we stare at the cross of Christ, we wonder, wait a minute. It seems like the darkness overcame the light, if, if Jesus was the light. 
How could this be? There is no life. There, there is nothing but death here. There's a third lifting up. There's a third lifting up. And this is as beautiful as the first two. This is the nativity of his resurrection and ascension. So after his death, after his pain and suffering, after absorbing in himself the spiritual penalty due for the sin of humanity, after all that hope and wonder of the nativity of his birth is crushed on the cross, then after all of that, a new kind of hope emerges. A hope that's better than just the hope of new human birth, but it's the new hope of new spiritual birth. A new kind of life. So God the Father raises up, lifts up God the Son by the power of God the Spirit. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And we'll get into that in 2024. We'll spend a lot of time talking about chapters 20 and 21 of of the Gospel of John. This light is now lifted up to a new kind of life again. Not, not just the same as it was before death, but a new kind of life, and therefore highlights the fact that we too can be lifted up to a new kind of life, a life even after death, even after sin, even after the grave. All of humanity now has access to this new physical, spiritual, bodily resurrection And Jesus proves it. He's the first fruit. He's shown that it's possible, and he's shown that his sacrifice was complete. This is an amazing, amazing nativity. This scene, this new life, this new kind of existence. Now we are free from death, free from the decay of disease. We are free from the impact of other sin and rebellion. That's the new promise. That's the new life that Jesus invites us into, that the Father invites us into by lifting up the light of the world, Jesus, in this third lifting up. This is what the light of Jesus' resurrection and ascension does. It lifts up all who gather around the empty tomb and look to heaven in prayer, speaking to the risen, living God, who is Jesus. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what God has done through the lifting up of the light of the world. Okay, so you're asking yourself. Maybe some of you are like really on board with this. Some of you may be saying, okay, that sounds nice, Dave, but... How can I know that this is, in fact, God who has done the lifting up of Jesus? Maybe this was just all fantasy. Maybe these were later additions that, that, that his followers wrote about him to kind of spice up the story. Maybe God had nothing to do with lifting up Jesus. How can we know that these aren't just nice stories? Great question. Great question. At one level, you can, only, you can only know this by faith. There's no evidence I can give you that will just, without a doubt, take away any doubt. But there is one thing I can highlight that might help. I was thinking about this this week. I want to highlight for you the surprising similarities 
and differences between Jesus and Caesar. There were two men, at least two, maybe there were more, living at the time who were claiming to be more than just human. The two men that I know of are Jesus of Nazareth and Caesar, the emperor of Rome. Both claim to be both human and God. Okay, so there's a pretty strong similarity. Both claim to be the rightful rulers of the known world and were actively seeking to bring their program and plan into all the world. They thought their rule and reign would be the best thing for humanity. A lot of similarities. However, there's some pretty big differences, right? Well, Jesus, he was a carpenter from an obscure town in a nowhere subjugated people group of the Roman Empire. Caesar, on the other hand, well, he was the emperor of Rome. He had unlimited wealth, power, influence. With the sword, he could force any writer, historian, or poet in the known world to say exactly what he wanted them to say about him. So they were different. One more important similarity. Caesar claimed to be divine and therefore required his subjects to worship him as such. And so he told them, and there was a saying that he wanted all his people to say, which was, Hail, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Now the problem for Christians was this was the exact thing that they were taught to say about Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. And so there was a very, this is where a lot of the conflict came in between the Roman Empire and the early Christian church. Christians said, well, I can't say that Caesar is Lord because I don't believe he's Lord. I don't believe he's both God and man, but I do believe this about Jesus. So my faith compels me to not say this about the emperor, but to say this about this carpenter from Nazareth. Well, when the Romans would come and tell them to recant, many Christians, most Christians, denied that. And many lost their life. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, wrote this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we have direct instruction from the early Christian leaders that we have to say publicly out loud that Jesus is Lord. And so this would happen primarily through the public declaration at someone's baptism. That they would claim before everyone that I no longer worship Caesar as Lord, now I worship Jesus as Lord. And many lost their lives. In fact, the last of the dynastic uh, emperors under the the line of Julius Caesar, the first uh, emperor of Rome, um, was a guy named Nero. And Nero was particularly treacherous. Um, Pretty good history indicates that one of the things Nero would do is he would take Christians who refused to recant that Jesus was Lord, and he would put them on, they would, uh, put them on big uh, spikes in the ground and light them on fire and use them as human tiki torches for his parties. So, we have Nero's gardens filled with human candles. Mocking the light of the world. But we have to ask, who is telling the truth? Who is lying? Who is is embellishing? Who is just out of their mind thinking that they are both God and man? 
And so of all, of all those first Caesars, Julius, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero, we know their names, we know their history, we know their accomplishments. You would think that they perhaps might have more lasting power than this Jewish carpenter who died at probably the age of 33, 35. Jesus had no money. He started no school. He had no heir. And so, could you imagine, just think of Nero sitting there saying, ah, history probably will play out in my favor. Who do you think would have more worshipers or followers or allegiance 100 years from then or 500 years or 1,000 years or 2,000 years from that day? Strange thing happened, right? Raise, raise your hand if you know anyone who worships Caesar as Lord today. Anybody have any friends, strange, interesting friends, one-of-a-kind friends? However, today, across the entire globe, on every continent, in, in almost every possible language and people group, countless ethnicities, hundreds of millions of individual human beings woke up this morning or came to church in the evening or gathered with friends and they chose to sing songs, to pray prayers, to bend their knee to a man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. What could possibly account for that? How could that possibly be true? Unless there was a God who was purposefully lifting up the name of Jesus, who in every generation and through every season of world history continued to put his supernatural energy into lifting up the name of Christ. Can, can, does it make any sense that this carpenter who died on a cross would continue to be lifted up as the name above all names? I think it's pretty strong evidence to at least consider that perhaps God didn't stop lifting up Jesus. He lifted him up in the Natsidvenia. He lifted him up on the cross for the world to see that life comes through death. And he lifted him up through the resurrection to say, I'm not done yet remaking the world in my image. And in Jesus, true power is, is, is redefined. True freedom is redefined. True unity is redefined. Everything is redefined in Jesus because I think God continues to lift up Christ, the light of the world, so that all who circle around him will be lifted up. Families, nations, cultures. Could it be that the lifting up is still happening? So here's my question for each of you today. Go ahead and pick up your candle. Is it feeling a little bit weightier? Maybe. Each and every human being on God's green earth today remains just as he was before Jesus came. With some light to share with the world. 
And the question that Paul posed to the Romans is the same question he poses to us. Whose light will you lift up high? Whose light? God seems to have lifted up the light of Jesus Christ. And humanity seems to be different when it gathers around this light. It seems to turn people into different kind of people. It seems to change cultures in certain ways. It seems to restore dignity to every person, irregardless of the color of their skin, the family that they were born into, the social class of their youth, their skills or IQ, their abilities or disabilities. Something seems to happen when they circle around this light of Christ. This light seems to lift up every other light. So as we sing the last songs, I want you to be really serious about this question. I want you to consider, regardless of the light that you've been lifting up your whole life, or at least recently, consider today what light you want to lift up moving forward. Don't just go through the motion. Just be honest, whatever it is. I'm not, I'm not upset if that light isn't the light of Christ. If you don't believe that Christ's light is the light that God has lifted up, then, then don't pretend that you're lifting it up. If the light that you want to lift up is democracy and politics, then lift it high and proud. If the light that you want to lift up is capitalism and personal property, then lift your, lift your light up high and proud. If this light is comfort and materialism, lift it high and proud. If this light is technology and progress, lift it high. Say, it will change the world for the better. If this light is your family name or your country of origin, lift it high and proud. If this light is Caesar or imperial power, lift it high and proud. Just lift your light and know that you're lifting it. But if that hasn't worked for you, if you've come to think, I don't know if that really does lift up the rest of humanity. Would you consider lifting up the name of Jesus? Would you consider circling around his light, the nativity of his birth, the nativity of his death, the nativity of his resurrection and ascension, and, and just put your life in his orbit and see what happens? You can choose to do that today. You can change the light. By simply praying and asking God that you want His light to fill your life. Don't be ashamed. Whatever light you choose, lift it high. As for me, I'm not ashamed to say that the light of Jesus Christ is the light of the world. That it's lifted me up in ways I could have never imagined. That it's changed me. That it's changed my family. That it's changed the trajectory of those people who have even come into my orbit, not because of my light, but because I hold up the light of Jesus. Consider what light will you hold up today? Let's pray.